Matthew chapter 13, everybody. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to read you the explanation to the parable of the sower. Uh, We are doing this over two weeks. And this is what Jesus said the explanation of the parable of the sower was. He said, listen to what the parable of the sower means. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in their heart. So it's really, under, it's really important that we make the message understandable because we give an opportunity to the devil if we don't. So I wonder how you are with your witnessing. I wonder if you break out into your witnessing to people and you're sharing with them about your whole life story about this happened and 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 and you don't get to the part of making it really understandable because that gives the enemy a foothold. This is the seed sown along the path. The seed falling on rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word and at once they receive it with joy. But since they have no root, they only last a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. The seed falling amongst the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but the, word, the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful. But the seed falling on good soil refers to someone who hears the word and understands it. And this is the one who produces a crop yielding a hundred, sixty or thirty times what was sown. This parable talks about four types of people. Those who are not open because of hardness of their heart, they've been trampled over, They're not open and the enemy can quickly steal that message away. If you've been trampled tonight, God still wants to cast his seed on your heart in the hope that there's just a little crack there that it can take root. Do you remember I threw out popcorn last week? If you weren't here last week, I gave the stewards an absolute nightmare. But I was trying to illustrate the fact that God doesn't, he just, he's just abundant. Amen. He cares about you. The second type of people are people who are not open. Uh, excuse me, the second type of people are people who are too open. They're, they're so open, they receive the word with joy and they quickly fall away. Now what I'm going to do tonight is I'm going to talk to you about the third type of person, the fourth type of person in this parable, those who are open but they've got other things that they're open to. I wonder what you're open to tonight. I wonder how crowded and cluttered your mind and your heart is. I wonder how many agendas you've got. And the fourth type of people is those who are thoughtfully open and process what they're open to and become fruitful. So, let me talk to you about the seed that fell amongst the thorns. These are people who are open and receptive but they are not uh, empty of other competing thoughts. 
Let me remind you what it says. Matthew chapter 13, verse 22. Look down there. It says, The seed falling amongst the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, choke out the word, making it unfruitful. And in Luke chapter 88, verse 14, where this parallel passages. It says, the seed fell amongst thorns, stands for those who hear, but as they go their way, they are choked by life's worries, riches and pleasures, and they do not mature. They've got so much on the mind. This person doesn't deal with long-held competing beliefs that they've had in their hearts for a long time. They are already holding some philosophies, and that's why Jesus uses the word choke. It means to strangle. They've already got lots of thoughts about where their value is, and so as soon as opportunities come, those thoughts take over and strangle the life out of you. You see, for Christians, the ultimate goal is fruitfulness. Jesus, on the night before he was betrayed, he, in his very intimate teaching with his disciples, said, you are meant to bear fruit. It's the great and basic goal. And the tragedy of not dealing with our competing thoughts, with things that sit in our hearts for a long time, is that they choke and they rob us of our fruit. We need to deal with the first competing thoughts was the worries of this life. That, that actually, there are some things that sit in our lives, we, we've had them from upbringing, and, and they sit there for a long time, and the word exposes them, and it's whether or not we want to bring those out. Worry number one, will my needs be taken care of? That actually every single person in this room, at some point in your life, you begin to ask yourself, am I going to be all right? Are my needs going to be taken care of? Let me give you an illustration how God looked after me. Um, I, I went to Bible college in Germany, in southern Germany. And in Europe, the actual uh, story of Santa Claus isn't as, as non-spiritual as it is here. Actually, in Germany, they more talk about St. Nicholas, who was a, um, a, a cardinal and an archbishop who uh, would give presents to orphan children. And he would carry them around in his sack. And their thought of Santa Claus is a little bit more spiritual than ours. So I was doing a Christmas party and, um, for the Bible college students and all the families were coming with their children and I had a red anorak. I put in cotton wool on my face and, you know, I was the one who was supposed to give out presents. So I just got a really long beard, you know, it was down there. I put dots of cotton wool in the front of my anorak and round the side of myself. Don't judge me, Okay. I have been Santa Claus. Okay? But it's St. Nicholas, really. Okay? Okay? Somebody say amen, because I don't want to be in a, in a room full of Pharisees. Anyway, and so I put, 
I put kind of cotton wool around my hood. And because I wanted to give these people a really nice time. And oh, 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 I came in and into the room and uh, was giving out the presents. And the Bible college students were all clapping and laughing. And oh, look, it's St. Nicholas. You know, the cardinal who gave away to poor orphans. And I went, yes, we were having a great time. And uh, some of the children, the families were there. It was a really nice time. And then I gave a present out. And my long beard, I mean, because I was a bit over the top. You know, I didn't just have a little beard. I I thought, I'm going to make a long beard, you know. And my beard went forward and it went into a candle on a table and it caught on fire. So so I ripped the beard off my face and, and it set alight the cotton wool around my cuff. So I threw it down to the ground and it set fire to the cotton wool down on my chest and so it's all on fire and then it set fire to the cotton wool around my thing and I was like I was like a Santa Claus on fire and there were little children going Santa Claus is on fire he's gonna die who said amen hush yourself don't say amen ever again and then So I'm on fire. Now this is what happened. Actually, in the newspaper, two days before, it's a famous story in southern Germany, a lady was playing Santa Claus and the same thing happened to her. And she's in hospital. She put in hospital by it. What happened was, is that that one of the wives of one of the Bible college teachers saw that I was on fire I mean, the kids were having a great time not. And, uh, and then she got the tablecloth. This is a true story, by the way. This isn't embellished in any way. She got the tablecloth with all the plates, candles on it and everything. And she pulled it and all the candles stayed, everything stayed on the table. And she doused out and doused me out with that, with that tablecloth. Isn't that a great story? God can look after you. He can look after you, even if, even if he has to get somebody to pull a tablecloth to do it. I know that God can look after you. And I wonder if there's a worry sitting in your life where you think, I'm not sure I can be looked after. And I don't feel secure. We need to come and understand that no matter what happens, even if you're set on fire, God can look after you. Worry number two is often, I'll never have a good relationship. That actually, things won't work out for me in that world. And we we often sit with that worry in in our lives. And that's why the Bible says God puts the lonely in families. Because actually in the community of faith, he begins to teach you how to relate to people, how to put your past hurts behind and begin to say, you know what? You can have good relationships. If you're lonely tonight, become a disciple and connect with other disciples and God will teach you relationships. Worry number three, which we all have at sometimes, is what does the future hold? And some people are, are so nervous about what their future holds. But do you know that God says, I go before you. 
that actually the, the symbol of the cloud over the tabernacle and when it moves, we move, was actually a symbol for our lives. That God goes before you. You see, these worries sit in our hearts and unless we root them out, unless we allow them to be exposed, unless we do that, then God can't really work with us. And in this parable, this is what's going on. This person is uh, consumed with the worries of life. And unless you put them to God, they'll get there and they'll eventually choke out the life, what the message is trying to do. Another philosophy that we have to deal with is what this parable says is we need to deal with the deceptive nature of wealth. Some of you might be saying, oh Lord, deceive me some more, I need some more wealth. But deception number one is wealth is your value and it never is. Just turn to somebody and say, you are not your money. You are not your money. And if it's your wife or your husband, say, you are not your money, honey, but give me some, okay? You are not your money. And listen, let me say this to you. Your lack of money is not your wealth either. It's not your value either. It's a deception when you equate your value with your wealth. Can I hear an amen on that, by the way? Deception number two is when you get enough, it's never enough. That there's always another level to go to. That there's always something that, that you have to move toward. There's a goal to be had. It's the next thing. Last week we had uh, our stewardship seminar with Pastor Paula Easton, who's a stewardship pastor in Birmingham. And Paula was sharing with us that when she uh, got a pay rise, she actually did not increase her standard of living, but she increased her standard of giving. Because she didn't want to be defined by her, the deceptiveness that wealth says there's always another goal. Hey, listen, do you ever feel like you're on the treadmill? You're in the rat race? Why don't you get off that? It's a deception. Deception three is, this earthly kingdom is all that there is. That actually, the, the, the worries of this life, the deceptiveness of wealth says, this is all that there is. But we know that there is another world and there's another life to be had. There is an eternal life. And tonight, if you're here as a guest with us or if you're watching online, I want to invite you to, a, to another type of life. This isn't all that there is. It's a deception when people say that. When we don't anchor our lives in building and seeking God's kingdom, we can become so distracted and these thoughts grow we need to fully deal with these competing philosophies so we need to fundamentally shift our goals to develop our kingdom character. In fact, doesn't Jesus say in the Sermon on the Mount that we're supposed to build our lives on the rock of the word? I wonder what, whether you can begin to say to yourself, I'm not going to let these worries 
that is sitting in my heart grow anymore. I can't remember, I think it might have been even Jono that said it, you have to starve fear to grow your faith. Whatever you starve will die. Whatever you feed will grow. Sitting amongst the thorns. I wonder what thorns, what competing thoughts you've got in your mind. I want to say to you, from somebody who's been set on fire, God can look after you. God can look after you. Let me look at the good soil. The good soil here is these are people who internalize the word and act on it. You see, this is the thing about the word of God. It's precious and we talk a lot about it. But actually, more than a trophy, it's a tool. It's something you have to use. And as you use it, then it does you good. They understand that the word is key and it's not just random how a large crop grows. They come and hear and accept and as they do, it yields and increases in their life. How you process the word of God is key to your fruitfulness it, and whether it yields high value in your life. Look at what Luke says uh, in his version of this parable. But the seed on good seal soil stands for those with a noble and good heart who hear the word, retain it, and by persevering in it, produce a crop. They hear it, retain it, persevere in it, produce from it. Do you see that process? They hear it, they take it in, they retain it, they don't forget it, but then they persevere in it. They don't try and say, oh, well, that doesn't apply to me. They don't try and say, well, everybody else has to do that, but I don't have to do that because I'm one of those special Christians. They persevere in it because sometimes it's hard obeying the word of God, isn't it? They persevere in it and then they produce from it. They're prepared to fertilize themselves over time with it. The 30, 60, 100 fold is not just random. It's by how much you hold to what God says and that's how it grows. Everybody turn with me. If you've got a Bible, turn with me back to uh, Genesis chapter 26, verse 12, because I want to show you where Jesus got this idea from of the hundredfold crop. You you might have thought he just made it up. He didn't. He knew his Old Testament scriptures. In Genesis 26, verse 12, it says this, Isaac planted crops in that land and in the same year reaped a hundredfold because the Lord blessed him. Why? Was it just because he's Isaac? Go back to the first four verses of Genesis 26. Follow along with me if you've got a Bible. It's an interesting thing. In Genesis 26 it says this, Now there was a famine in the land, besides the previous famine in Abraham's time. And Isaac went to Abimelech, king of the Philistines in Gerar, And the Lord appeared to Isaac and said, Do not go down to Egypt. Live in the land where I tell you to live. Stay 
in this land for a while and I will be with you. I will bless you for you and your descendants and will give you these lands and I will confirm this oath that I swore to your father Abraham. I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and I will give them all these lands and through your offsprings the nation and the earth will be blessed. So here it is. Isaac stayed and obeyed in God's promises. Even though it was hard, he stayed. How about you? How about you tonight? Is there a a kind of sense in which God's been speaking to you about something for a while and you haven't acted on it yet? I wonder if there's something that keeps coming back. You know, you... You kind of meet people and you keep having the same conversations and you think, oh, isn't it funny that they brought that up? And then something in church and then you read something in the Bible and then it kind of keeps coming back to you. I wonder whether God's trying to knock on your door and get back to you, get through to you. You see, because people who produce fruit, they hear the word, retain the word, persevere in the word and then produce from the word I wonder if there's something in the word that you need to just say well even though that's hard I'm going to do it a bit like Isaac God there's a famine in this land how on earth are you going to produce any crops and actually because he stayed he flourished I think I've got a word for somebody tonight you need to stay. You need to put some roots down. You need to hear some roots. And that's how you're going to flourish. I wonder if you'll stand with me, if you will. I want to ask you tonight, where are you? As the last two weeks we've looked at this parable... And we've been looking at it, and I wonder if you're the first person who the seed fell on the path that where, because maybe no fault of your own that your heart is hard, hard. And perhaps you need to soften your heart. I wonder if you just open your hands, hands with me. Maybe you need to just soften your heart. Perhaps you're like the second person who. You've received the word, but you haven't, you haven't really been feeding yourself. You haven't put roots down. I wonder if you're like, like the third person where the seed falls amongst the thorns and you've got lots of different competing thoughts, worried about life, deceived about your value, and those thoughts are sitting in your psyche and in your mind and you need to just say, Lord, I'm going to lay them down before you. But I wonder if you could be like the fourth person and this is what the fourth person does. They internalise the word and then they act on it in their life. They internalise the word and act on it in their life. And it begins to produce fruit for them. Pray this prayer with me. Lord Jesus, 
bring your word in my heart. Let me bring it out in my life. See, that's how it works. You bring your word in the heart and bring it out in your life. Oh, God loves you so much tonight. He can protect you in any situation. I hope you don't mind me telling you stories from my life. I just want you to know that God can protect you in any situation. Amen. Raise your hands with me right now. Thank you, Lord. Oh, Lord Jesus, do more. Just do more. Let's just sing together for a while. Put out all distractions. This is about you and God now. I wonder if there's something that God needs to take out of your heart and out of your mind. And you need to say, Lord, I'm giving it to you. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord.